MSW Media. Big shout out today to Helix Sleep. Take their two-minute sleep quiz and they'll match you to a mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans and use code HELIXPARTNER20. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, January 8th, 2024. Today, Lauren Boebert got into a bar brawl with her ex-husband, according to police. The Supreme Court has agreed to hear the 14th Amendment case from the Colorado Supreme Court that disqualified Trump from the ballot. Capitol Police Officer Harry Dunn is running for Congress. Wayne LaPierre is stepping down from the NRA ahead of the civil trial. Florida gets enough signatures to put choice on the ballot in 2024. The Supreme Court is allowing Idaho to enforce its abortion ban. The jobs report for December has once again exceeded expectations. And Representative Elise Stefanik says she will not commit to certifying the upcoming election results. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hey, Dana. Happy Monday. Happy Monday to you. I hope you had a good weekend. I did. I had a great dildo anniversary. Uh, Everybody, (laughs) we got to listen to the rerun of the January 5th, 2021 episode of Charismatic Megaplastics. Uh, That ran um, this this past weekend on refried beans, which is where we are. uh, uh, Honestly, a listener wrote in and said, you know what? I, I hate not having my beans on the weekend. So I'm like, well, let's play episodes from that week from one, two, or three years ago to see how far we've come. And of course, this week we had our magnificent, incredible, amazing, best episode ever, Charismatic Megaplastics rerun. Absolutely. And the kids are cleaning up the trash and (laughs) making the world a better place. I forgot about the fact that one of the kids was, had, had a Donald Trump Chia. Yep. With no Chia like a bald Donald Trump, and the other one was hitting it in the face with the <laughs> double-ended dildo. And I that I forgot about that part, and I was just dying laughing. But also some of the absolutely kind of prescient predictions that uh, you and I were talking about at the beginning of that show. Right? We were like know. the Simpsons. It was amazing. You You were like... I don't know how many more impeachable offenses he can commit in the next 15 days, but I'm sure he'll try hard. And then lo and behold, yep. Uh, we also did not yet know if Ossoff and Warnock had won Georgia. We were telling everybody and encouraging everybody in Georgia to get out to vote. We know what happened there. They both won and we flipped the Senate. And then, you know, I, I was like, I can't imagine what he'll do because I don't have a cold, dead heart. I'm not evil. So it's hard for me to even predict what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You were like, I have a feeling he's going to just demolish the White House and be like, if you if I can't live here, nobody can. Like it was it was pretty close. Yeah. Apparently my heart is a little more cold and dead than yours. Is that what that means? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Maybe it's just because I'm Jewish and I always go to the worst case scenario. But they're probably, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know. We just didn't know. That was a joke, by the way. People, please don't write in. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. We just had no idea what was in store, but we knew it wasn't going to be good. I knew there wasn't going to be a military coup because the military was like, we're not participating in your weird shit. Mm -hmm. So I knew he wouldn't be able to call the military out. 
but we didn't, we just had no idea. Well, I mean, we kind of did. We knew that something big and bad was going to happen and there was violence and there will be wild thing. But, um, I mean, it's, you can't, um, know what it's like until you see it. Nope. Not there's in a million years, we would not have predicted what had happened on January 6th, the next day. Poop on the walls. I mean, it's just awful and horrible to, you know, to have to relive that. But we've got some, you know, some uh, silver lining here with Harry Dunn. We'll talk about that in a minute. Later on in the show, we're going to speak with Glenn Kirshner. I'm going to talk to him about uh, why Trump is still walking around inciting violence and causing problems. Um, why no judge has has revoked his bail or anything like that. We'll talk about that. Uh, with him. Uh, and then, you know, we've got a lot of news that happened over this weekend. The news is not slowing down so far in 2024. So much news, in fact, that we have to do some quick hits. And to make a long story short, too late. First up, early news reports are coming in that Lauren Boebert was involved in a brawl with her ex-husband, Jason, with a Y, at a local restaurant over the weekend. Uh, the local police have confirmed they were called there because I guess Lauren, uh, some reports say Lauren Bobert punched him in the face twice. And they're currently looking for video of the incident. So perhaps there will be tapes. One report, and, you know, that she punched him in the face twice. Again, that's not confirmed. Somebody reported that to a local uh, reporter that from something they heard on a police scanner. So everything's kind of like, you know, uh, double, triple sourced. Uh, we'll, we'll try to figure out what's going on. But uh, we have another barroom brawl. We had that Christmas one with the South Carolina GOP leader and her mom. So tensions are running high. And also, can we talk about me predicting the future when I was like, why are all these Republicans having barroom brawls? Didn't Lauren Boebert get in one? And you were like, I don't know if it was Lauren, but it was someone. So and then thank you, Lauren Boebert, for getting in a brawl with your ex-husband. Yeah. It's This stuff is pretty predictable is all I have to say. Yep. And as you were saying that, my buddy Pete Strzok just sent me the story uh, last night. Silt police confirm they were called to an incident involving Colorado Rep. Lauren Boebert and her ex-husband, Jason, at the Miner's Claim restaurant Saturday night. That sounds like a wild Saturday night. Reports are she punched him. And the chief, Chief Mike Kite, says there have been no arrests, but they're oh looking... Goodness. Looking for the video. All right. Speaking of Nazi sympathizers, like that wasn't a good transition, but I feel like it applies. Uh, Rep. Elise Stefanik <laughs> wouldn't commit to certifying the 2024 election results on Sunday in an interview with Meet the Press. While interviewing Stefanik, who serves in the House Republican leadership, host Kristen Welker asked, would you vote to certify and will you vote to certify the results of the 2024 election no matter what they show? Well, Stefanik said that she did not vote to certify the 2020 results in the state of Pennsylvania and several other states because there were, and I quote, unconstitutional acts circumventing the state legislature and unilaterally changing election law. Uh, that never happened. After Welker pressed her again on the matter, Stefanik wouldn't commit to certifying the election results and criticized efforts to remove Trump from the ballot in Colorado, Maine, and other states. So she mm. is still, I think, vying for the VP position, which she will never get. Yep. And she repeated the uh, the poisoning the blood of our country thing because mm -hmm. she's, she's so super like pro-Israel, uh, except for that kind of uh, glaring Mein Kampf quote. And next up, my good friend Harry Dunn is running for Congress. On Friday, 
the eve of the anniversary of the January 6, 2021 Capitol attack, Harry Dunn launched a campaign in Maryland's third congressional district, joining a crowded Democratic primary to replace retiring Democratic rep John Sarbanes, I believe his name is. Quote, because of January 6 and everything that happened afterwards, it's clear how much of a threat the extinction of our democracy is. It's very present right now. That's what Dunn said in a phone interview Thursday ahead of his announcement. I do believe that we're literally one election cycle away from the extinction of our democracy, he added. So uh, I want to support my friend Harry Dunn. I'll have him on the show pretty soon. We'll talk about how to help him out with his campaign. Sounds good. And this one's from The Times. The U.S. labor market ended 2023 with a bang, getting more jobs than experts had even expected and booing hopes in the economy can settle into a solid, sustainable level of growth rather than fall into a recession, which has been a big fear for a while now. Now, employers added 216,000 jobs in December on a seasonally adjusted basis. The Labor Department reported that on Friday, and the unemployment rate was unchanged and it's only at 3.7%. More Americans will get up today and go to work than any time in our history. Amazing. All right, everybody, we have a lot of uh, jobs. We have a lot of jobs to get to. (laughs) (laughs) And one of them is to hit the hot notes. (laughs) One of them is Lauren Boebert in a theater. No, (laughs) no. Boy, magic hands Boebert is what we should just call her. Um, Whether she's punching you in the face or, you know, anyway, you know what? Let's just hit the hot notes. Hot notes. First up from Lawrence Hurley at NBC. We have two stories from him today. The Supreme Court on Friday agreed to consider whether former President Trump could be deemed ineligible to run for federal office again because of his actions leading up to the January 6th attack on the Capitol, a case that could have seismic impact on the presidential election. Yeah, thank you. The justices will review a decision by the Colorado Supreme Court that said Trump could be barred from the Republican primary ballot in that state. But the U.S. Supreme Court ruling is likely to have national repercussions, potentially setting guidelines that would determine how every other state would handle the issue, right? For example, if they say, nope, only Congress can do that, uh, then no state will be able to keep them off the ballot unless Congress passes some sort of legislation, which they will not because we don't have 60 votes in the Senate um, and the filibuster is still a thing. Or, you know, if they decide that uh, his oath doesn't include the word support, and that protect, preserve, and defend doesn't mean support. It's absurd. It's dumb. Or if he's not an officer of the United States or, you know, whatever they decide. However they decide to do this, whatever kind of weird textualism they try to apply to this that makes no sense, um, that would mean that no state could do it. Even though they've said in multiple, multiple decisions that the states administer their own elections. The brief order said the case would be argued on an accelerated schedule February 8th indicating that a ruling will follow soon after. So we know they can go fast. We'll see what, what they do with the immunity case. One other state, Maine, has issued a similar decision saying Trump can't appear on the ballot. Like the Colorado ruling, the Maine decision is on hold while litigation continues. Trump remains on the ballot in both states. Quote, we're glad the Supreme Court will definitively decide whether Donald Trump can be on the ballot. We look forward to presenting our case and ensuring the Constitution is upheld. That's the government watchdog group Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, which represents the six plaintiffs who sued. Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold said in a statement that the American people deserve clarity on whether someone who engaged in insurrection may run for the country's highest office. The court, she said, should prioritize this case and issue a ruling as soon as possible. If the Supreme Court rules in favor of Trump, then he would stay on the ballot. But should the court uphold the Colorado ruling, then other states could be encouraged to follow suit. There's also the possibility that if Trump is kicked off the ballot, Republicans could take retaliatory action by trying to do the same to President Joe Biden. 
Uh, Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick has already floated such a move that will not hold up because he didn't. He wasn't involved in an insurrection. In an insurrection. (laughs) (laughs) The Colorado Supreme Court ruled December 19th that Trump was ineligible to appear on the Republican primary ballot. We went through all that. Um, But after the the U.S. Supreme Court issued its order Friday, Trump praised the three justices he nominated to the Supreme Court. Coney Barrett, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, etc. I fought really hard to get three very, very beautiful, amazing, handsome people on the court. They're great. They're tall. They're delicious. Very smart people. I'm adding some frills here. But not much, by the way. (laughs) And I hope they're just going to be fair. And then somebody else, I think uh, Alina Haba was like, "You Trump went through hell to get Kavanaugh through. And I'm like, really? Uh, did he pay his debts? Mm-hmm. What was that thing with uh, Justice Kennedy where he wagged his finger in his face? Does something have to do something with uh, the fact that Kennedy's kid works at Deutsche Bank and lent Trump a bunch of money? Hmm. I would really like to know what you meant by went through hell to get Kavanaugh on the court. Uh, earlier, the Trump campaign said it was confident the court would unanimously affirm the civil rights of President Trump. The civil rights. Okay. So dumb. The Colorado Supreme Court based its ruling on language in the Constitution's 14th Amendment that prohibits those who, quote, engaged in insurrection from running for various federal offices. Among the novel legal questions presented by the case are whether the language applies to candidates for president and who gets to decide whether someone engaged in insurrection. This is so silly to be like, you can run only for president if you're an insurrectionist, not anything else. Right. But you, you can be president for sure, for reals. The state's high court decision reversed a lower court's ruling in which a judge said Trump had engaged in insurrection, but the president is not subjected to the insurrection clause because he's not an officer of the United States, which is also wrong. Uh, Trump and his allies have raised that point as well as other arguments. Uh, Republicans, including Trump's primary opponents, broadly support his claim that any attempt to kick him off the ballot is a form of partisan election interference. Some Democrats, including Gavin Newsom, governor of our fine state, California, have also expressed unease about the 14th Amendment provision being used as a partisan weapon. It's in the fucking Constitution. God damn it. Like it's in mm, it's in the Constitution. The people are like, let the voters decide. They did. They decided to put it in the fucking Constitution. Back after the Civil War. The voters did that. Uh, The plaintiffs, as well as Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold, agreed with Trump and the Republican Party that the Supreme Court needed to take up the case, and they asked for a quick ruling. In Colorado, the deadline for candidates being certified for the primary was Friday, last Friday. Colorado is one of more than a dozen states that has its primary elections on March 5th. They're coming up fast this year. All right. This is also from NBC's Lawrence Hurley. Now, the Supreme Court on Friday allowed Idaho to enforce provisions of a strict new abortion ban that could penalize doctors who perform the procedure in emergency situations. Now, the court granted emergency requests filed by Idaho state officials putting on hold a federal judge's ruling that said the provisions conflict with federal law. Well, the court also said it would hear oral arguments on the issue in April and issue a ruling by the end of June. Other provisions of the near-total abortion ban were already in effect. The state abortion law was enacted in 2020, with a provision stating it would go into effect if the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. And they did. Now, the law, called the Defense of Life Act, therefore went into effect when the Supreme Court in 2022 rolled back the ruling that guaranteed a constitutional right to abortion. Now, it declares that anyone who performs an abortion is subject to criminal penalties, including up to five years in prison. Healthcare professionals found to have violated the law, they can lose their professional licenses. Now, there's an exception if the abortion was necessary to protect the life of the pregnant woman. 
while the federal government sued, prompting a federal judge in August of 2022 to block the state from enforcing provisions concerning medical care that is required under the Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act. In 1986, that law requires that patients, including the federal government, says pregnant women with serious complications, receive appropriate emergency room care. Well, the law applies to any hospital that receives federal funding via the Medicare program. Yeah, and guess what, Dana? Mtala, that law, that mm-hmm. was passed by, Repu- that was Republican law. Yep. Now, I'm blocking parts of the law, that state law that conflicts with federal law. U.S. District Judge Lynn Windmill described the state's actions as putting doctors in a very difficult situation. He wrote, the doctor believes her Mtala obligations require her to offer that abortion right now. But she also knows that all abortions are banned in Idaho. She thus finds herself in the horns of a dilemma, which law should be violated. Now, the San Francisco-based Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals briefly put Windmill's ruling on hold in September, but subsequently allowed it to go back into effect, prompting the state officials to turn to the Supreme Court. Well, the state officials argue that the two laws are not in tension (laughs) with each other in part because the federal law does not specifically say that doctors are required to perform abortions in certain circumstances. While Solicitor General Elizabeth Prologar, representing the Biden administration, disagreed with that, saying in court papers that the Idaho law, and I quote, criminalizes care required by federal law. Well, President Joe Biden said in a statement Friday that the overturning of Roe v. Wade has enabled Republican elected officials to pursue dangerous abortion bans like this one. He also called on Congress again to restore the protections of the landmark Supreme Court case that was overturned in 2022. He said these bans are also forcing doctors to leave Idaho and other states because of laws that interfere with their ability to care for their patients. That's our dear president. He went on to say this should never happen in America. Earlier this week, the New Orleans-based Fifth Circuit uh, Court of Appeals ruled it for Texas in a similar case in which the state was seeking to enforce strict abortion restrictions. Mm. Yeah, and I wanted to really quickly for our patrons correct myself over the weekend on the on the Daily Beans weekly wrap up. I said that the Supreme Court was allowing the block of gender affirming care in Idaho to go forward, not the Mtala abortion issue. So just want to do a little correction there for for our patrons. Next up from Emma Tucker at CNN. Wayne LaPierre, leader of the National Rifle Association, who served for decades as a fierce protector of the Second Amendment and giant douchebag, advocating for firearms, owners, and manufacturers, announced his resignation on Friday, days before his civil trial is set to begin. LaPierre stepping down as the executive vice president and chief executive officer, effective January 31st. Andrew, let's see, Arulan Adam, which is an NRA executive and head of the general operations, will become the interim CEO and executive vice president for, for now. I mean, this whole NRA is falling apart, so we'll see how long it even lasts. Quote, with pride in all that we've accomplished, I'm announcing my resignation from the NRA. That's what LaPierre said in a statement released by the group. He said, I've been a card-carrying member of this organization for most of my adult life. I'll never stop supporting the NRA and its fight to defend Second Amendment freedom. My passion for our cause burns as deeply as ever. You know, you can get a cream for that. LaPierre cited health reasons. See? Health reasons, mm-hmm. according to the NRA, that's the burning. Uh, its its president, Charles Cotton, accepted LaPierre's resignation on Friday. Wayne is a towering figure in the fight for constitutional freedom, but one of his other talents is equally important. He built an organization that's bigger than him. Okay. New York Attorney General Letitia James in 2020 filed a lawsuit to dissolve the NRA, claiming the organization violated laws for nonprofit groups, committed tax fraud, and took millions for personal use. On Friday, 
James announced a $100,000 settlement with former NRA executive Josh Powell, one of the five defendants named in James's lawsuit against the organization. He formerly served as the chief of staff and executive director of general operations at the NRA. As part of the settlement, Powell admitted to claims of wrongdoing that were outlined by Letitia James in, in her 2020 lawsuit, which included breaching fiduciary duties, failing to administer charitable assets entrusted to his care as a senior NRA executive, et cetera. All that's in the lawsuit. So he admitted to all that, quote, Joshua Powell's admission of wrongdoing and outgoing NRA CEO Wayne LaPierre's resignation confirm what we've alleged for years. The NRA and its senior leaders are financially corrupt. That's what Tish James said in a statement on Friday. William A. Brewer III, an attorney representing NRA, of course, his name is William Brewer III, said in response to the settlement, it's a telling sign that the New York Attorney General's case relies so heavily on disgruntled former employees, terminated vendors, and other cast-offs from the NRA's past who are no longer affiliated with the association. Well, does that include Wayne LaPierre? Mm Because he just fucking resigned too. (laughs) Quote, the NRA lives in the present and its case relies on something much more powerful facts, evidence and a demonstrated commitment to good governance. Yeah. okay, Uh huh. Sure. Follow the money. The trial against the other four NRA defendants is slated to begin Monday in New York. It will take place after several efforts by the NRA to dismantle the Manhattan court case by moving it out of state or filing appeals alleging the case is politically motivated. Uh, Judge Joel Cohen, who is presiding over the case, blocked James's attempt to dissolve the NRA in March, but allowed the lawsuit to go forward. The suit names LaPierre, General Counsel and Secretary John Fraser, former Chief Financial Officer Wilson Woody Phillips, and former Chief of Staff Powell. Those are the four people. Okay. Thank you so much, AG. This last one's from Axios. Now, a coalition of Florida abortion rights supporters surpassed the number required of signatures needed to put a referendum on next year's ballot, and that's according to the latest data from the State Division of Elections. If advocates succeed in enshrining abortion rights into Florida's constitution through the ballot measure, it would have massive implications for reproductive health across the South. Now, the proposed amendment reads, no law shall prohibit, penalize, delay, or restrict abortion before viability or when necessary to protect the patient's health as determined by the patient's health care provider. The state validated, by the way, 910,946 signatures as of Friday. It's a lot of signatures. Advocates needed only 891,523 to make the ballot. That's a very specific number. Right? I know. I'm like, okay. Now, whether the amendment will end up in front of voters hinges on the state's conservative Supreme Court. Yeah, which has until April to decide if it's going to approve the language for use on the ballot. Republican Attorney General Ashley Moody filed a legal brief in November asking the high court to kill the amendment, arguing that its use of the term viability is in an attempt to hoodwink voters. Now, the court is scheduled to hear arguments on that case on February 7th. Now, if approved, the abortion referendum is going to need the support of 60 percent of the voters to succeed. Abortion rights have won every time they've been on the ballot since Roe v. Wade was overturned last summer. But getting there in some cases, it's just more of a challenge. But listen, I think if they can do it in Ohio, we can do it in Florida. Yeah, but they do need 60 percent. And in Ohio, they only needed 50 percent. Ah, that is a fair point. Thank you for ruining and crushing my dreams right before we go to the break. I'm sorry about that. And it says <laughs> next year on the ballot. I wonder if there's, uh, I'll have to look this up if this is 2025 and not, oh. the, not the 2024 presidential election. Um, Good point. But 
I'll have to see. I'll have to look that up. Um, and anybody, if you want to write in for our good news segment to clarify that on a correction, you can do that by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. And speaking of the good news, we'll get to it. But right after this break, I'm going to have a quick interview with our friend Glenn Kirshner, former, um, former federal prosecutor and host of Justice Matters. So stick around. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. As you know, I used to not get very good sleep. I had a lot of anxiety. I would toss and turn. I would wake up achy, kind of discombobulated. But as soon as I ordered my custom mattress mattress from Helix Sleep, that all changed. Just go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. Take their two-minute sleep quiz. They'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. And you'll get 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Navigating the world of mattresses was a little overwhelming until I encountered Helix Sleep's personalized approach and their cool quiz. That two-minute sleep quiz expertly matched me with the Helix Midnight, which is a medium firm bed specifically designed for side sleepers like myself, and it's far better than any mattress I've ever had, head and shoulders, no contest. Helix's extensive collection of 20 individual mattresses, including the Lux and Elite series, is thoughtfully crafted to meet the needs of anyone, no matter how they prefer to sleep. They even have mattresses for kids and big and tall folks. It's amazing. A delivering setup of my mattress was quick and easy. From the first night, the quality was apparent and evident and amazing. The mattress provided the perfect balance of support and comfort, significantly enhanced my sleep quality. Plus, with Helix's 100-night trial and 10 or 15-year warranty, my investment felt secure. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans and use code HELIXPARTNER20. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Happy to be joined today by my friend, you know, former federal prosecutor, lots of experience with the law, host of Justice Matters at both YouTube and podcast forum. If you're looking for all, all sorts of incredible impression information on what's going on in the news and legal matters, please welcome my friend Glenn Kirshner. Hey, Glenn. Hey, G. How are you? I'm doing I'm doing OK. Uh, boy, the, the 2024 hit the ground running and I don't think it's going to stop. Um, and that's why I'm so thankful for for your voice and, and for Justice Matters, and also thankful that you're going to be joining us in April in D.C. for uh, our MSW Media Patron Meetup. I'm looking forward to that, and I hope maybe we've got some more better news uh, than than what we're currently sitting on. I think we might, except today, Donald Trump, and you know, this is we talk about this every time you and I have a discussion, is on Truth Social attacking E. Jean Carroll. And I don't understand why. Now, I realize that E. Jean Carroll's lawyers have not filed a motion to enjoin Donald Trump from continuing defamation um, or attacks, much like I know the lawyers in the Ruby Freeman Shea Moss case against Rudy have filed a motion with Judge Beryl Howell for an injunction to, to stop him from lying about them. And the punishment for that can be jail or additional fines. Keep fining, make a price, pay a price for ongoing defamation and attacks. But that hasn't been filed here. That's, I'm not saying that it won't. And, and this isn't just in these particular cases with, with Judge Kaplan or Judge Beryl Howell, but across the board, no judges seem to be holding Donald Trump accountable for his extrajudicial pretrial statements. And uh, I'm was frustrated and continue to get more frustrated as time goes on. Yeah. So let's start at 30,000 feet because you said 2024 has hit the ground running. But, you know, let's take some comfort in the fact that 2023 was the year of the Trump 
criminal indictments, and 2024 will be the year of the Trump criminal convictions. Now, turning first to E. Jean Carroll, I, I don't want this to sound like a smart alecky comment, but maybe Miss Carroll just wants to keep making bank because she successfully sued Donald Trump once and the jury found that he committed sexual battery and defamation. She got, I think, an aggregate $5 million jury award. He went out and did it all over again. So now we are on the E. Jean Carroll defamation suit, the sequel. Look for $10 million. That's just my speculation. But nobody can accuse Donald Trump of learning from his mistakes or his misconduct. So you're probably going to see an even bigger jury award this time. And every time he continues to defame her, you know, Miss Carroll and her lawyers certainly have a decision to make. Do we try to continue to use all of the levers of the justice system to try to shut him up? Or do we let him keep running his mouth so I keep taking more and more of his millions of dollars? I don't know that that's the calculation, but you're absolutely right. Shamos and Ruby Freeman, the two Georgia state election workers that Rudy Giuliani lied about, defamed, and whose lives he endangered, they decided to go another way. They sought an injunction and one was issued by the presiding judge, Beryl Howell, such that if Rudy Giuliani continues to go after them and violates the court order, he could be jailed, right? So, and that does seem for the moment to have tamped down at least some of the dangerous rhetoric. So there is, I think, some reason to believe that if you use all of the levers, all of the mechanisms of the justice system, maybe you can get to the desired place. Um, but Donald Trump will never shut up. He'll never stop running his mouth. And most egregiously, he will never stop endangering the lives of anyone who seeks to hold him accountable for his crimes or his civil wrongdoing, like defamation. But what is so damn frustrating, A.G., for this old career prosecutor is the law has a vehicle to address this. Anybody who is on release in a felony case, Donald Trump is on release in four felony cases, state and federal, who poses a danger to the community or to any person in the community. If there's clear and convincing evidence of that dangerousness, he is to be detained pending trial. His pretrial release should be revoked and he should be put in a jail cell and his megaphone should be taken away. And the system should use the rule of law to protect the witnesses, the prosecutors, the court, the personnel, everybody who is involved in the endeavor of holding Donald Trump accountable for his crimes. The system has not stepped up. And every day that frustrates me. Mm -hmm. And and these judges can do this unilaterally. They don't need a motion filed to have a hold a hearing on on bail revocation. Um, although generally motions are filed, but usually by the prosecutors. And so we, we're just not um, we're seeing that in some cases. We saw Fonnie Willis do it with Harrison Floyd. Um, that was the first time some uh, a, a DA, a prosecutor, stepped up and made a filing like that. And we saw Ruby Freeman and Shay Moss's attorneys do that too, and join this guy from talking. Now, I think that this Trump trial, Eugene Carroll one, which is it's called because Eugene Carroll two went first. Mm -hmm. Eugene Carroll one, I think, is going to be well north of ten million dollars. You'll remember, Trump filed a motion to cap the award 
the jury award in this next trial, this upcoming trial on January 16th at $5 million because that's what was awarded in the first case. And that motion was denied. He also, at the last minute, filed a motion to strike the witness, expert witness, Dr. Ashley Humphreys, uh, from uh, testifying on behalf of E. Jean Carroll. And that he did that a day after Rudy Giuliani was hit with a $150 million award. And that was because Ashley Humphreys, Dr. Dr. Ashley Humphreys, testified as an expert in that case. And I talked a little bit with, uh, with, this, uh, with Pete Strzok about this. The, f- e- the first E. Jean Carroll trial was about more obscure comments he made after he was president. They couldn't get the, the, the first issue to court the one where he made the comments during president, because as we know, our good old friend Billy Barr decided that uh, the DOJ was going to jump in and, and represent Donald Trump in that case, because apparently making comments about rape is part of the job of the president. Now, Merrick Garland eventually overturned that ruling, said the DOJ would not certify and represent, and that those, those comments were not part of his job. And that's what's up in this next trial, is what he said while he was president. And this expert witness testifies about the reach online and in the media and on social media of uh, defamatory comments. And I guarantee you, as president of the United States, while still on Twitter, Trump's comments that are being that are at issue in this new E. Jean Carroll trial had a much, much further reach than the comments he made after he was president and a much further reach than Rudy Giuliani's comments about Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss. So I think we're going to be looking at a pretty massive award here. But I don't know, uh, you know, what the the rules of New York, local rules of New York about caps or anything like that. Yeah, but you're exactly right, because I remember the eye popping numbers of the, the testimony from the expert witness in the Giuliani defamation case against Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman. And they were eye popping. I mean, the reach of Rudy Giuliani's defamatory statements um, was pretty astounding. And the reach of a president's defamatory statements, I mean, they have to be the most widely disseminated statements of literally anybody on earth. I know that sounds hyperbolic, but, you know, so... Yeah, you're probably right. I have been maybe underselling my prediction of $10 million, which would be double the last defamation award. So you're right. Maybe we should be looking more at the $148 million or you know, whatever it was that the D.C. jury awarded in the Giuliani case as a better measuring stick for what Miss Carroll might be able to win from a New York jury. We'll see. We'll definitely see. But I also kind of uh, was on the low end when uh, I was thinking about Rudy Giuliani's uh, award determination, too. I, uh, you know, they said 15 to 43 million. I said maybe 75 if you add the other damages, the emotional distress damages that they were seeking and stuff like that. But that was 148 million blew me away. But the expert witness, Dr. Ashley Humphreys, who has, by the way, Judge Kaplan said, no, you can't strike this witness last minute. Uh, This has been two years. Uh, (laughs) So she denied that motion. So she will be testifying. And her testimony is very persuasive. So we'll see what happens. Quick pivot uh, before I let you go. I want to talk about uh, Trump's filing with the Supreme Court finally a day before, uh, you know, day and a half before certification of primary ballots is due by Jenna Griswold, Secretary of State in Colorado, to overturn the Supreme, the Colorado Supreme Court's decision to prevent him from being on the primary ballot in 2024. The default position, uh, and this was per the ruling from the Colorado Supreme Court, is that he remain on the ballot 
unless a higher court weighs in. And so I, I, I'm not feeling as good about this one with the Supreme Court as I am about the immunity case. I think immunity will be shut down, maybe even nine nothing, but certainly seven two. I'll go better than nine nothing. I think they ought to refuse to review the ineb- my- the inevitable affirmance. I didn't mean to interrupt you there, AG. No, that's my favorite. That's my dream scenario yeah, is that the, they the, just the, deny The D.C. Federal Circuit Court of Appeals will decide unanimously, in my opinion, that a president is not king. He doesn't have absolute immunity. He can't kill off his enemies and not be held accountable for it, et cetera, et cetera. And if the Supreme Court is an honest broker of the law, the word if is doing a lot of heavy lifting in that sentence. If the Supreme Court is an honest broker of the law, they should refuse to accept it for review because there is no legal support, not not in the case law, not in any federal statute, and not in the Constitution for the notion that a president is king and beyond the reach of the criminal laws of our nation. So they should decline to accept it for review. And I actually think they might decline to accept it for review. But you know what? On the election front, I'm with you. This is, it's so intensely interesting. And I think it's a little bit misunderstood because people seem to be troubled by the fact that there are 50 different standards potentially being applied to whether Donald Trump can or can't be on the ballot. Well, that is actually our system of government, right? We have the separation between the powers of the federal government and the powers of the states. The states have the right to run their elections, including elections for federal office, as they see fit. So we have 50 batches of different election laws, of promulgation of different election rules and regulations. And that's why we see right now with basically the same set of facts, the same body of information, Michigan says he's on the ballot, can't disqualify him from the Republican primary ballot. California, he's on the ballot. Colorado applying their laws and procedures say he's disqualified because we have followed Colorado state law in that regard. Up and in Maine, Maine doing it up with the Maine. Secretary of State because that's their local rules. You don't have to have a trial like you do over in Colorado because they got their own rules, too. And Secretary of State Bellows followed the rules to the letter of the Maine law. And now it permits a court challenge of her decision to disqualify Donald Trump from the ballot. People are like, oh, my God, this is so inconsistent. That's our system. Think about it. They just revoked women's constitutional privacy rights to make their own reproductive health decisions saying what? The 50 states can do it in 50 different ways. The same is true in the election scenario. And and I did a quick survey of what is required to qualify somebody in just some of the states. In New Jersey, a thousand signatures are needed to put somebody on a primary ballot. In New Mexico, 18,479 signatures are needed for what reason I don't know. But it's like, oh, my God, that's so wildly inconsistent. Exactly. That's our system of government. But here's the thing. I don't trust the Supreme Court as far as I can throw them. And I assume they will want to put their fingers in the election pie and they will probably review the Colorado case. Again, if they're honest brokers of the law, here's what they, I think, actually can do given their jurisdiction and given that the 50 states must be permitted to run their own elections as they see fit. There's procedure and there's substance. I think they could say 
we interpret Section 3 of the 14th Amendment substantively as meaning the follows. Insurrection, that word in the context of Section 3, means the following. They can even say the office of the presidency is an office of government. That's what they should say, but they may even muck around with what the word office means, right? Um, I think they can actually interpret the Constitution and the words to mean one thing or another. However, what they can't do is say now, we are going to mandate the same procedure in all 50 states to qualify or disqualify Donald Trump from the ballot. They can't do that, not constitutionally. That would be violating states' rights. What they're going to do, AG, is anybody's guess. Yeah, and there are multiple, multiple Supreme Court decisions, even at recently as Moore v. Harper, mm-hmm. um, Sandlin, which is a, a interpretation of the Electoral Count Act, that say the states do their own elections. And they've got, they've quoted Kavanaugh, they've quoted Scalia, they've quoted Alito saying these things. You know, they quoted, I think, Kavanaugh when he was a judge for the lower court in Colorado saying the same thing. The states administer their own elections. They're going to have to bend themselves and tie themselves into knots to apply their, what I probably feel is going to be a wrong or incorrect interpretation of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment to all 50 states. But they do shit like this. I, you know, I remember 2000 when they're like, this is what we're deciding. And by the way, what we're deciding today is not precedent for any other case ever going forward. I envision the same kind of bullshit decision here where they say, yeah, I know usually we do the states rights things, but not this time. And this precedent is not for any other case, just this one specific, very narrow case in this particular instance uh, and the end. And it and <laughs> it's. I, I don't trust them either. They haven't shown any consistency uh, in their textualist takes or in their states' rights takes. Um, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see. They've they've backed themselves into a corner, especially with overturning Roe on on being really big on the states' individual states' rights. Um, so it's going to be. And I have no idea either. Now Judge Judge Ludig said they should refuse cert, and he thought that until the main Secretary of State. Uh, made her decision and said, well, now maybe they probably have to hear this uh, or make some sort of decision. I don't see it. And, and boy, I, I disagree with Judge Ludig at my own peril. You know, if Judge Ludig tells me my middle name is not Lewis, I probably pull out my driver's license and double check. OK, <laughs> that, that's how much I credit his opinion. Um, but I, I take a slightly different view. I mean, I would agree that when you have a split in federal circuit courts, Um, on this kind of an issue or some similar issue. Okay, the Supreme Court has to take it for review because the federal constitution needs to be interpreted and applied in the same way in all federal circuit courts. But because the states have different election laws in place, and that is by constitutional design, I don't think different decisions coming out of different uh, state courts or state secretaries of state pose the kind of conflict between the states that necessitate the Supreme Court wading in. All that being said, I am probably not quite as accurate as Judge Ludig is <laughs> on this topic. Yeah, and and that's why the immunity will be thrown out immediately. There's never been a conflicting or a disagreeing uh, opinion in any circuit that says that presidents or anybody at all, for, for that matter, enjoy the divine right of kings. 
Thank you so much, my friend. I appreciate uh, you coming on and, and having this discussion with me. Everybody follow Glenn on all of social media, wherever you get your social media. And also make sure you check out the YouTube channel, Justice Matters, and make sure you check out the podcast, Justice Matters, as well. So much good information, so many incredible uh, discussions. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, AG. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's time for the good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, you want to play. What the mutt? Catch me if you can. Opine on the bovine. What the heck wine? What the hell is in that shell? What's the model of your axolotl? <laughs> Anything you want to play. Send that to us if you have theses or dissertation titles, would-be stories, blanky stories, shout-outs to your kids, yourself. I love self-shout-outs. Your, your spouse, a loved one, a partner. Um, somebody you work with, a coworker, those are great shout outs too. Uh, small business in your area that could use a boost or your small business. What are you making? What are you creating? We have so many incredible people here that listen to this show. I want to know about it. Um, if you don't have pod pet tax to pay, you can send us an adoptable pet in your area. We can see if we can get one to help get that adopted out. Um, and, you know, generally just basically your double into dildo stories, anything like that you want to <laughs> send to us frog orgies, baby pictures, send it to us. Dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact. First up from Devin. Pronouns they, he. Dearest of the Beanie Queenies, I have such amazing news to share today. We did it, Florida. Through a giant grassroots effort over the past eight months, we gathered enough petitions to get abortion rights on the ballot so that voters can make the choice to get them enshrined in the Florida state constitution. The people have made their voice heard. This is such a huge step forward for not just all people with uteruses, uteri, in Florida, but in most of the South as well. I'm so proud to have taken part in collecting the petitions. Now, as long as the Attorney General, Ashley Moody, doesn't succeed in her efforts to overturn the will of the voters, we are well on our way to making Florida a safe haven for reproductive rights. I look forward to voting it in. Devin, thank you. Thank you, indeed. All right, this one's from Beth, pronoun she and her. My good news is also a gentle correction. On Fugle Sing Friday, John incorrectly stated that Massachusetts has a Republican governor. We used to. Now we have an amazing, smart, tough woman, former attorney general, her excellence, Mara Healy. And oh, she that's is right. amazing. And she's a lesbian. Ooh, ooh. And bonus, proud fellow member of the LGBTQ community. So today, my good news is that I'm very proud of my governor. Thanks so much. I'm also sharing a pic of my lovely wife and I at our Dobie and pit mixes. The pups, the Dobie is battling cancer and we're praying she kicks cancer's ass. All my heart is in one picture. Beth... This is so sweet. You guys are adorable, all of you. And I hope that the Dobie kicks cancer's ass too. That pity looks like he's about to drop a mixtape. He like, he's like, <laughs> he's like questing. Like, you oh know what I mean? God. Like, mm, that's, this is a beautiful picture. I love this picture. I, this is, I hope this is your favorite picture because it's mine. Next up from anonymous pronouns, she and her, AG and DG and all the beans and the bean patch. Oh, cool. Bean patch. Hello, Foxy Frijoles. I adore you both. And as a lesbian, I have to admit my fealty to Rachel Maddow. But since finding you two, I now have to say you both have won my heart and respect. You're both so fucking smart in your own way and both so fucking funny. I've actually peed myself laughing. So thank you. So much thank you. Life has 
been emotionally exhausting this last two years personally. And then you add the news coverage of the man I've hated the most in my whole life, getting all this news coverage again, and my thresholds have bottomed out. I'm about 10 years older than AG and happily attached and later able to marry the love of the last 40 years of my life, but was so disappointed to hear that AG was strictly dickly (laughs) out loud. (laughs) Then my overwhelming sense of loss for our team, DG, had my gut punch trigger engaged. And then to hear Allison talk about having to date her predator in hushed tones brought me to tears, literally. That one got me too, by the way. Thank you. It's, I, again, this is so clear. It's not a choice. I would not choose that. I love you both and admire your bravery to speak to the world, your secret truths, my God, ladies. And I love the way DG says, my goodness, like my grandma, then uses the F-bomb. <laughs> anyway, my goodness, <laughs> fuck. Anyway, I have to share a bumper sticker I just made, uh, 14, because it's all I could afford. But I was hoping you guys could help make and distribute some for the election year we're in. I'm going to rock my tiny rural town in Arizona with as many as I can afford and stick them everywhere. My pod pet tax was my two baby cows. You saw that are, as Allison said, the perfect quintessential black and white cow baby. So here's a picture of the sticker. Uh, okay. So it's Donald Trump saying, wait, God is a black woman too. That's excellent. That's fantastic. I remember the two baby cows and I, yeah, the perfect quintessential Aristotle's perfect form of the perfect cow. Um, and you know, let's just say this. Um, I, I am, I guess, I guess you'd call it pan because I, would date anybody. Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. And I love, okay, first of all, I love that you just did this on the podcast. Obviously, (laughs) I've been keeping things close to my vest and my chest for quite some time. We talked about this at some point. I think that you would like, say you're sort of queer in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I I wouldn't ever limit who I would be willing to date. I have so many amazing, incredible friends. I have one friend who is a gay man and a drag queen who is dating a trans man that is pre-surgery, like, and and they're learning to do the thing. I'm like, I fucking love all this love. Yep. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I have dated a trans person in the past. I don't have these kinds of restrictions. I love a person. Um, so yeah, I mean, Hey, G, I love you so much. You're going to get so many people writing in right now. Oh, my God. I'm sure there's so many people that are like, I feel this way close to my chest, but I don't know who to tell this because I don't know if people are going to understand. And you trust this community. You trust me. You trust our people. This is a big deal. Oh, well, thanks. And you know what's weird is it doesn't feel like a big deal. Right, which is also amazing. (laughs) So anyway, I'll see about these bumper stickers. Wait, God is a black woman. Yeah, too. let's keep moving. All right, you just came out as pan. Let's get to what the mutt. All right, this is from. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I fucking love you. Okay, this one really is from Kate. There's no pronouns on Kate. I want to give my little sister a shout out for her birthday on Monday, January 8th. She lives in beautiful Vermont, and I live about in the worst state, Florida. My sister, Lee, is the reason I listen, and I love the beans. She turned me on to you. Thanks, Lee. Happy birthday, and I love and miss you tons. Thanks so much, AG and DG. Love you guys. Love you too, Kate. Sweet. Sweet. 
Okay. Do you want to take this one too? Sure. This is from the, uh, the yesterday when we were like, we don't have the photo. This is from Diana's What the Mop from Friday, actually. This is from Friday. So we've got the pups. Oh my God. They are cute and round. <laughs> these, these uh, there's definitely chunkies. Beagle and Shepherd in one of these. Corgi, Beagle, Shepherd, Aussie. Yeah. I think. Let's All right. Let's see. Oh my God. Tricolor no. is Pepper. We had her tested. Plot hound? Uh, that's what I thought I see as beagle, but that's apparently plot hound. And shepherd. And uh, Yorkie. Yorkie? How'd the Yorkie get in there? Don't ask. dangerous. Yeah, don't ask. It was a fun <laughs> night on the, on the streets. <laughs> it was Lauren Bobert in the barroom brawl. The red and the white dog is pumpkin. She's not been tested, but we think she's Basenji and Collie. Okay, I could see that. I yeah, see for that. sure. If you get those tests, let us know. All right. All right. Next up from Melanie, pronoun she and her. I love your show and really look forward to the good news. My daughter Josephine's whoopee is Elefante. He is 30 plus years old, tattered and a bit flat. Several years ago, Joe and her husband presented a gift. It was a brand new Elefante, now named Junior. After a beat, I realized she was announcing a grandbaby for me. We both burst into tears and began on a journey that has filled my heart more than I ever knew possible. Here's a photo of my grandbaby, now almost two, with Elefante Jr. For my pod pet tax, here are Maisie and Monty. They're always wherever I go, hogging the bed, sofa, and whatever chair I'm occupying. Okay, look. Oh, look at the bebe. Look at the, that Garfield cat. This cat, this Wilford Brimley diabetes cat, is the cutest little dude I have seen in a really long time. And this other orangey, okay, so this is a ginger cat family, absolutely adorable. So sweet. All right. And uh, do you, uh, you want to? Oh, yeah, I'll take the tiny one. And you, I like when you close this out all, all right. as much as we can. All right, this one's from Melissa, pronoun she and her, just because. Here's a picture of my dog. This is Pepper Jack's uh, semaphore. Uh, Pepper Jack's semaphore. It's a great fucking name. He makes me happy, and I hope he helps you too. Melissa, he sure <laughs> did just now, that's for sure. The Pepper name. Jack's semaphore the third. The name is amazing. <laughs> Thanks, Melissa. And finally, from Anonymous, due to work concerns, I'm sure you'll understand, pronouns he and him, and yes, Anonymous, I do very much understand remaining anonymous due to work concerns, hence my name being AG. Basically, hello ladies, I'm a U.S. Army officer currently overseas and away from family. This is a thanks shout out whoopee story. Would like to just express my sincere appreciation for your patriotism and zeal for the values that make our nation great. Your commitment of fact-based news grounded in reality makes it so much easier to have informed conversations about the world we live in, and that is truly invaluable to me. While I have more optimistic views of the military and its values than most, I don't have to look very far to see some really scary evidence of what can happen if morally corrupt leaders are in charge, and your work actively prevents that real, very real possibility. My shout out will go to my wife of six years, who's going through her second long absence, not including countless training events, and her first as a mother. She's absolutely crushing it and is somehow surviving as a single mom with a young toddler. Her love and commitment to our family makes it possible for me to be in the places that our country needs me to be. I would challenge every listener to find a military spouse you know and offer your time and friendship because it's really hard finding reliable people to help out when you move around a lot and all of your peers are equally strung out moms. Consider this doing your part. Anyway, my Wubby story is just funny because in the army, we have a piece of gear, the poncho liner that is colloquially called the Wubby. 
Anyone that has spent any time in the field would know it's the orders of magnitude better with this piece of equipment. So if you ever wonder how to bridge the civilian military divide, just remember, um, we aren't so different. And even the toughest soldiers bring their whoopee to the field with them. Lastly, pod kid pet tax. It's my late dog and my son. Unfortunately, we had to put the the dog down last year, but she really was the goodest girl and never even nipped my son, no matter how much he deserved it. <laughs> Look at this kid. <laughs> oh, he's cute. The baby. His little safari gear with his boots. Check out his boots. He's ready to go. He is. We're... But can we talk about the third picture? Please. Okay. The second picture. But yeah, the third. Oh my God. Look. I know. Oh, how adorable. Sweet baby and a pup. Thank you all for sharing such, uh, I mean, there are such intimate pictures of your family and your life and it, it brings so much joy to my heart. I feel really lucky. Yeah, me too. What a cool community. What a very, very cool community. Thank you all so much. And thanks to Glenn Kirshner for joining us today. Any final thoughts before we get out of here, my friend? No, I'm just nothing. I'm just blown. I'm just really proud of you. That's it. That's my final thought for today. <laughs> Thanks, man. All right, everybody, we'll be back in your ears tomorrow. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of your mental health. Take care of the planet. Take care of your family. Just take care of everything. Just take care vote of everything. Blue, vote, vote blue over Q. Take everything with you. Take out all of it. All of your whoobies. <laughs> <laughs> the voting booth with you. <laughs> I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane, with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs>